Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. There's so many things we do, and so we do this impact report, and it comes in at about 14,000 people a week that we come in contact with outside the four walls of the church. There's a team doing that of 61 people. They have a team meeting every Friday, and there's 61 people in this team meeting. And we also have visitors that come on what's called Project 61. The last thing that was covered by that pop-up was Project 61, which is short-term missions to Oroville. So they come from quite a few different places to spend a week with us or two weeks with us, or sometimes only a couple of days, but mostly they come because you come far. And they do a couple weeks with us, and they go through all of our ministries, working all of our businesses to go home and try to decide what they want to do to impact their town. So we keep these impact reports, and we touch 14,000 people a week. And I think that really what amazes people most is just the unity that we go out in. Things have changed so dramatically. And we have this team meeting, and they come in, and they, they are always when we ask questions and do a little, what was your best thing you saw all week long? They always write about that team meeting being such a family, such a unity, such a love, such a mother and father with with the kids, you know, kind of just sending young people out who have no training, no, you know, no, no public education on these things, have them run a business. And I know one guy, I gave the construction business had never done construction in his life. My my history is 40 years of contracting, so I'm there, you know. Let's do this, let's do that, do this, do that. And he does what I tell him. And so you just kind of put them out there, and they sink or swim. Almost, It's kind of a funny uh, methodology, but it's amazing how it brings out the best in them. I mean, what it brings out in them is amazing. Um, Andy back here came to work with us a few years back, and he says, I want to be involved in the uh, life recovery ministries, you know, and you just kind of throw him into a house. In those first months, man, he was like, oh, he was like, I thought this was going to be easy. Yeah, yeah, guys who are addicted coming out of jail are not real easy. They're, they're really tough. So that's, the you know, a little bit about the Father's House. 61, a team of 61, a staff of 21. And probably 22 now. I just promoted two guys, and I one guy left, and two came. So, 22 staff members and uh, 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 senior staff members, of like seven of them. And so, a little bit about the Father's House. We, I would say that that mayor talking, changing the city. I mean, the the spirit of the city is this: that a few years ago, uh, when Vicky and I first moved there, there was a shell sign, a shell station. S-H-E-L-L, just the brightest sign you ever saw. Oroville's a river city, so going away from the river that way is a long grade, and coming in from this way is a long grade. Well, one day the S burned out, and it's the tallest sign ever created for a gas station, and it's bright orange and yellow, and from a way far away, it said, you're coming into hell. And from both directions. And all the people in town said, could we get that guy to fix his sign? Because really, when you knew Oroville, you felt like it was hell. It really had a spirit about it that was so terrible, really. And um, I'm trying to find my place. 
But um, it was such a terrible place, and the sign said it all. Left you with that impression that, that you know, the, um, the town was really bound by something. It was so different than any other town I've ever been in. And we asked God, what's the spirit of Oroville? What is the spirit that controls Oroville? We had an intercession meeting, and it was really clear. God spoke to us and said, it's selfishness. And I said, no, I'm looking for a demon name. You know, I was looking for something like Golgotha or, you know, or some name this great creature that controls Oroville. And he said, selfishness, human condition. Three times in a row he said selfishness, and I was devastated because I have to come against a spirit called selfishness. And I'm a selfish man. What do I do about that? So I didn't really know what to do. This was uh, many years ago now, probably 19, maybe 18, something like that. I just, I don't know what to do with. What do you do when your city is bound by selfishness, and the Lord sent you to do something about it, and you recognize that you are bound by selfishness? So I asked, "What do you want me to do?" He said, "Begin to work, begin to come in the opposite spirit." Set up the Father's house to come in the opposite spirit. I started telling people. It wasn't too long later, Andy came along, Becca came along, you know, different people came along, interns from Toronto School of Ministry. My daughter had been there as a small group leader and drew a few of them. I think she knew Rebecca back here. and So um, we started to get some interns, and we started to create this community that is what I just described, the 61 people. And... Um, the school of ministry, intern program, staff, equipping people to work in the ministry, you know, on staff and develop instead of like here you're planning churches there, we're really just planning ministries all over a city until we completely change the city by operating in the opposite spirit. First thing we started doing, this is really the first thing, the very first thing, I had a dump truck with an 18 foot by 8 foot by 4 foot bed. It was for my construction company hauling the garbage off from the jobs, right? So we just took it into the south side. It was completely full of garbage, and we started hauling garbage. We started hauling garbage. By the time we were done, it was 300,000 pounds of garbage. You have to weigh yourself at the dump. You weigh the truck, and then you weigh the truck, and you know exactly what you dumped. You write it down. You put the receipt on the thing. Keep, keep track of it. They were keeping track of it. We were keeping track of it. And we said, you know, we've taken 300,000 pounds of garbage out of that Wow, 400 abandoned cars, and we probably took about 30, cut them in half with these saws, and then were able to prevail upon code enforcement to help us, and then a move started to make money on abandoned cars, and we were able to get 400 cars out of Southside. <clears throat> and so just come in the opposite spirit. What are you doing this for? Um, because God sent us to do it because he loves you. Uh, really, God sent us to do it. Why, what, what, what's the thing? You know, really the big rumor in Orville was Steve Orsillo. What's he doing? How's he making money at this? And I knew that that would become, you know, because I, I was in a very innovative, and I wish I could take credit, but God had given me a vision on how to run a, um, a construction company in Orville, and they all wanted to know how I was doing this. How did you do this? And uh, I told everyone that asked, God showed me a vision. I just do what he showed me in the vision. The construction company works perfectly. So they're wondering, what the heck is Steve Orsillo doing in Southside? Why is he doing this? What's in it for him? So they all start buying houses in Southside and renovating them. 
because they thought I was getting so rich in Southside renovating houses because that was the second thing. I was just buying these terrible houses, worst things you've ever seen, and I was making them brand new. And I, I had decided Southside was not to make money, and I ended up making lots of money in Southside. But I went there to not make any money, but because they came, prices, the values just started soaring like crazy, and so houses became very valuable, and I made some money there and uh, was able to build the Father's House Church because of that. And so that's a little bit about us. We now have done 20 years of opposite spirit ministry. Uh, I'm not sure if how many of you know the, the gentleman on the film, Ed Silvoso. Heard of him? He's fairly famous, but not everybody knows him. Came to Oroville one day, called me up, said, can I come to church? Uh, yeah. Would you please not tell anybody I'm there? Okay. It was Easter Sunday. He came, sat in the crowd, and him and I went to lunch afterwards. Gave him a tour. It takes about an hour and a half to show somebody all of the entities, all of the... It's, it's pretty large, our influence in this little town. Went to lunch, and we began to talk. And he began to tell me that the Lord told him that we are now... What he said was, you have a regal royal anointing over the city from all the time you've spent doing what you're doing. I didn't really believe him that, really. I didn't really understand it, and I thought, hmm. So I went to prayer. What does he mean? What is this? He says, you sent him. I can hear you too. So, And the Lord really laid it on me. You have a royal anointing. I said, who's the prince of the power of the air of Orville now? He said, you are. I said, me? He said, he didn't say yes. He said, the the body of Christ, the kingdom, has the right today to take charge over Orville. So we did a 40-day prayer walk and walked the city, and I met with Ed and said, this is what the Lord showed me, that we now have the right. We have served. We have pushed Orville up and made her famous. We got rid of the shell sign. We cleaned up the garbage. We cleaned up the cars. We, we gave everything away for 20 years, free everything, free yard sales, free food, free everything for 20 years, taking kids to camp, doing anything we could to make the money, taking them to yard taking them to camp, free, serving Oroville. Now it's time for us to step in and say, Oroville, your light has come. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon you. Your light has risen, and God has a purpose for you. He wants to speak to the world, Oroville. So for 40 days, we went down the streets of downtown telling Oroville who it is, who God has called it to be. Now, I this is what we've done, and I want to read a story. I kind of want to read the Christmas story to you. Is that all right? We're going to have Christmas in August, all right? Because what I want to share with you, I want to tell you who we are, and let me just make one thing real clear. You couldn't get a very clear picture of the Father's house by what I just said. You just got, you, you were just looking through a little, little peephole from what I just told you. But what I'm about to read and share with you from the Bible, this is the key. This is the, well, listen to Jesus, which I preached in several places, is the big key, and then this is how you take listening to Jesus and turn and unlock the door. This is how you change lives. This is how people change from one thing to another. People who are going one way turn and go the other way. And I'm talking about Christians. Selfishness reigns in the Christian church in the same way it reigns in the world. 
And how you begin to get people to read Jesus and let it change them is this right here. Let me just read it to you, and uh, I'll explain. You may not know what I'm talking about, but uh, I'll go ahead and explain it after I read it, all right? So it's uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 25. We're only going to... So it says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. I am flabbergasted by this event, this story. God with us needed a man to save him. God chose to come and save you and me, decided to come as a baby. Instead of, when you see the ascension, of, you know, you look in Acts and you see the ascension in your brain while you're reading it, you kind of imagine the ascension. Hey, I have, my hand is full, but I just, Hollywood, I think what they did in Hollywood was they said, he just put out his hands and floated up. Right? So maybe that's how it worked and not. I don't know. But when I see the ascension, I then think of the descending. And I think, why didn't he just put his hands out and descend a grown-up? Why didn't he just suddenly appear down by the river as a man and they're going, where are you from? They didn't. He came as a baby. The whole nine yards baby. The whole nine months baby. The whole everything baby. I'll leave your imagination. He came as a baby. And he came with a non-biological father. The number one thing I have problems with in my ministry is the New Age movement idea that we don't need man to tell us what to do. We all can hear the Holy Spirit, and every man hears the Holy Spirit for himself and decides what's right in his own eyes. Well, then why didn't Jesus do that? How come he had a, a Joseph in his life? Why did he have a non-biological father? And if he had a non-biological father, how come you and I don't need to be non-biological fathers? And why don't we need to have non-biological fathers? Why aren't we responsible for the young ones, old men? And what young men? Why aren't you submitting to the old men to be non-biological fathers? Why is this such a difficult thing? I wrote a book called Follow Me, based on Jesus calling men to follow him to teach them to say to other men, follow me. And when you read the apostles, they said, follow me. They said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I teach that. I'm telling you, it's like I threw matches at people. They're all jumping around, freaking out. How dare you? Well, why? 
if Jesus had a Joseph in his life and God used Joseph to save God in the flesh's life, how come we don't need a Joseph to save our life? How come we say we don't need anybody? Nobody needs to tell me what to do. How come we say I don't want the responsibility of being that for anybody? Joseph was obviously chosen for incredible character. It says in verse 19, if you missed it, and Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, and then this bottom one, but he kept her a virgin until the baby was born. I mean, he had every right not to do that. But he even protected Jesus before he was born. No one can say Jesus was not virgin birth because Joseph did not take his right as a man, a husband. Jesus was protected from the conception by a man. Herod tried to kill him. Jesus was saved by a man. God went to a man and said, take Jesus and go. When he was in Egypt, came to him and said, go back. You know how many times, I think it's a couple of times, Jesus is called the carpenter. Why was he called the carpenter? He learned to be a carpenter from Joseph. He wasn't called the carpenter's son. Everywhere, in some places, he was called the carpenter. Joseph was the carpenter. Why was Jesus the carpenter? Because he apprenticed under Joseph. That's why he was called that. It wasn't automatic in those days. You had to be the one that learned the trade. There's so many places where you see this, but then he disappears when Jesus is very young. Now, I think 12-year-olds are too young to be left. But after 12, we don't know. How long did Joseph stay in his life? I don't know, but I do know one thing. The, here's what it says in 1 John chapter 1. All things were created that, by him, and nothing was created that he did not create. What it just said here is he's Emmanuel, which means God with us. And he has... He gives us the example of having a man in his life who saves him, who trains him, who teaches him, who leads him, who goes looking for him when he loses him, finds him in the temple, and then Jesus lays it on him. It's time. I've done my example. All these people in the 21st century here in Michigan, they'll be able to know the truth about this, that we use men to lead men. That we use men to follow men. That, and when, ladies, I'm sorry, but when I say men, I'm talking about mankind. I'm talking about all of us. I'm talking about the little children. That if you, you know, it, there's it's kind of popular today to raise children by letting them decide. We will not work, that will not work out good in the future. No, children must be led. In Christianity, when we become a Christian, the Bible says we're like, we're like children. We need to be led. We need to be covered. We need to be protected. And what that is, that's a responsibility for all of us, the, us, young, us young men to follow other men and us old men to lead other men, us old women to be mothers and us old men to be fathers. It is even for young men to be fathers. If Jesus needed non-biological father in his life or Jesus had a non-biological father in his life, then why can't we? Why shouldn't we? Why isn't it like the best thing there is? It's probably the biggest fight I get. No, I need no man to tell me. Do you know that what Paul was talking about when he said that? Because Paul said that. We need no man. You need no man to tell you. You know what he was talking about? Some guy was living with his father's wife. 
You don't need anybody to tell you that's wrong. It was born in you by the Holy Spirit that that's wrong. And we've said, oh, let's cram that scripture and use it for our individuality. Let's use it for our independence. Let's use it so we don't have to listen to anybody. Let's also make, the, uh, make it so that I don't have to be responsible for anybody. Well, I am my brother's keeper. It says in here that if I accept leadership in someone's life and I watch him heading for a ditch and just say, oh, hey, that's going to be a bad deal, but oh, well, go ahead, that their blood is on my head. And how is that love to just let people bounce off walls and fall? I mean, when, when they fall with me, they hurt. They're wailing in agony. Their life is miserable. People they say they love, they hurt. I have so many people in my life who the people who were supposed to love them didn't love them. The fathers that were supposed to be there weren't there. Well, then who's going to take their place? Who's going to show them what a father is? Now, here's a conversation I have all the time. I had this with a 64-year-old man. Sorry I wasn't there when you were six years old. I was only 54, 55. He was 64. I said, sorry I wasn't there when you were a toddler. But I'm here now, and you're not going to escape this. You have to learn these things. There are certain things you have to learn, and I hope you can learn them fast. But you're really just going to go right back to your addiction if you don't learn to walk with men, trust men. You have trust issues coming out your ears, man. And as long as you don't trust men, you are destined to fall in a ditch. You are destined. I, you're going to have to be one of those kids on a leash. Because, you you know, I have a kid with Down syndrome. I have one that, He was in the video, 34 years old happiest human being on earth but i do not let him just choose he's 34 but he has a condition that makes it so i'm a lifetime father never going to have an empty nest my whole life so i have a lifetime job with him no matter what age he reaches it's a responsibility i accept started the church god told me to do a church i did a church i do what i'm told usually hopefully and I was doing pretty good, you know, growing the church. And just bam, they left. All at once, they left. And I realized I really am a terrible father, a terrible uh, pastor. When, so I really, like, I have no idea how to do this, and you told me to do this. And so I went to a conference in Toronto on the G12 model of church, which is cell group church, uh, Maybe you've heard of it, maybe, but it's G12. Anyway, and one of the main speakers was a guy named David Stockstill. Larry Stockstill or David? Larry Stockstill. And he was teaching on the G12 model. And he said this statement, and I was just cross-eyed with this G12 model. I wasn't getting it. And he said, if you're promoting people in your church that are not sons and daughters to your ministry, if you're making them leaders and pastors, then you will constantly go through this circle. Now, I said, I'm going through that circle. I have such an awesome construction company, and my foreman and my leaders and my carpenters, man, it is, we just have a great relationship, and they do what I say, and they're afraid not to do what I say. And I mean, I, I'm pretty demanding in that construction company. We, can, we get her done, and we make money, and we do it right. And so I wonder... 
what he's saying is kind of is not really what I do at the church. It's more like what I do at the construction company. And I really realized I'm the CEO of the church here. Went down to nine people, and I said, the heck with this. I was quitting until I remembered he told me to do a church and did not tell me that I could leave yet. So what are we going to do? Well, I listened to Larry, and I said, you know, I'm a great dad. I'm also a good CEO, but what does a church need? I'm fabulous at running a company. And I knew by that time that, man, my kids are all grown up, and I'm really good at it. And I'm going to be a dad to this one forever. I mean, I'm going to be a controlling dad, like I have to hold his hand across streets and stuff. And that's going to happen if he gets to be 60 and I'm 90. Just the way it is. So there really isn't a time limit on this dad thing. There's a mature limit. There's a place where they're ready to walk away limit, you know, kind of thing. So I'm really good at being a dad. I wonder if this is something that I ought to look into. So I came back and shared it with Vicky. This guy said this, and it really piqued me, my interest. We're going to build out of the dust. They all left. We have no church. Nine people, six of them are kids and us. So, like... Well, let's just start over trying this. I think I'm going to try to be a dad to these guys and these girls and this this family, this church. I think I'm going to approach everything from non-biological father. And the church we built out of the dust is phenomenal. The people, I would trust them with my life. I would trust them. I trust them with my son. He's with them now. I mean, I can hand my son off to any one of them. And they will take care of him like he was their brother because we did it more like a family and less like a company. And people do say to me all the time, well, you know, church is a business. And I'm like, yeah. But I think I'm going to keep the father's house more like a family. The family's big, you know, I don't know. Small, I don't care. As long as we have a quality family. I want it big, don't get me wrong. I mean, it, it validates you to have a big church, but it says you did it right, I guess, or you're successful, but that's not really what I'm looking for. I'm looking for sons and daughters who become disciples and are willing to be fathered and are willing to be mothered. They call her Mama Vicky. And they're willing. Here's the coup de grace of the whole deal. Here's the hit it out of the park, take it deep, you know. This is it. They're willing to become non-biological parents to the next one. They're willing to take them by the hand and walk them up the road. And then today, I just got text after church today. I got text from my church this afternoon where one of my young men is graduating from Life Recovery Ministries. And I felt, oh, I wanted to be there. He wanted me there. I'm important to him. But then I looked past his face to the other faces. And I saw all the men in his life who stand with him, their hands on him. You can, you can walk with me. I'll take care of you. Any Herods rise up to get you? I'm listening for the Lord. I'm listening for the warning. I'm looking for the signs because I'm going to watch out for you. I'm going to take care of you. Walk with me. I'm safe. I saw in that picture 15 men to walk mountains with. 
I saw 15 men to walk with, with their hands on him, knowing he's okay. He's got them. They've got him. It's okay that I'm here and he's there. It's okay. And in the picture, I saw my son with Down syndrome, my 34-year-old son. He's got his hands on that guy. He's got him. They've got him. He's got them. This group of men could change the world. They could build anything. They can do anything. They can save anybody, rescue anybody. They can hear the Lord, and they pray together continually. Jesus had a non-biological father, and I, I think that Jesus was really the example we need to follow. In Christianity today, nobody wants to follow anybody. It's really interesting, his, his recruiting process. He walks up to men, says, follow me, and walks away. Like, couldn't you tell me a little more about what, if I drop this net in 4 B.C. Jerusalem, I may be in poverty. And there is no welfare system, so if I drop this net and follow you, could you tell me a little more? No, he didn't. So, I'm going to share, I'm going to switch gears here and tell you a little bit about non-biological fathering, because I think it's a missing element in our churches. I think it's missing um, in most of what we do in Christianity today. I think it's the thing we are legislating out of our churches, is the responsibility of following and leading, submitting and surrendering our lives to one another, becoming family and basically putting our lives in each other's hands. In our staff and interns, we have um, people who are so estranged from their biological families. And we talk to them about it and say, well, we will be your father. We will be your mother. We will be your brother and your sister. We will do what Jesus said and He said when he asked the question, who is my mother, my father, my brother, my sisters? I think he said mother, brother, and sisters, but... The one who does the will of my Father. That's who it is. So here's what it says in chapter 7 of Matthew, verse 28. It says, when Jesus had finished these words, which is the, this is the next, this is the first phrase after the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus had finished these words and the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. And I'm thinking about that. That's exactly what we have done in Christianity today. We have given authority in one place, and I think about the scribes here. It says that Jesus taught with authority. And I'm just going to briefly talk to you about this word authority. Jesus talked with an authority different from the scribes. But everything in their community, the scribes had all of what we in America would call authority. They made all the rules. They um, enforced all the rules. They were to be feared, and we call that authority. The guy with the gun and the badge, he has the authority. The guy with the gavel has the authority. Then what was Jesus doing? What was he talking with? Because that's not the authority you and I. He didn't do any of that. He did more things like command demons. He did more things like teach truths. He did things different than the scribes. I think today in our world... We ascribe authority to what the scribes did. We call that authority. And yet it says here they were amazed by his authority. 
Joseph practiced authority when he took God in the flesh and saved him from the authority in the land who had a who had all the power. But Joseph had no power except the ability to sneak off in the night and take the baby. So what is this authority? See, I believe God gives authority to man to, to rule, to lead, to direct his church. I believe he speaks to us how to be righteous, how to follow Jesus. I think that what Jesus' authority came from was how he taught. So I wondered, what does authority mean? So I looked up the word. I was shocked. I thought it was the other word for authority, the magistrate, the one with the badge and the gun. But this word doesn't mean anything like that. The other one is a place you appoint a man. You give him a place of authority. But the authority Jesus is teaching with is totally different. And it's kind of interesting if I can just share, share with you. If I can find it, I will. Here's what it means. To knock severely. To press severely. To beat hard. To put something in overdrive or high gear. Okay, yeah. So I think that's kind of interesting. Jesus taught with hard knocking, pressing severely, overdrive, high gear, beating and knocking. I'm a contractor. I'm a carpenter. I build big buildings, small buildings, build buildings all my life. I've got to get heavy things from over there to over there. And in my day, we were too proud to get a tractor, so we did it by hand. We did Armstrong power steering kind of thing. We armed it over there. We, we, we muscled it up. But there are so many places in my life where things weren't right where they belong. Things weren't right. I see in the church today things aren't right. It was so hard to get my church to be right. There were so many places where I had to stand against the wolves who were trying to devour the sheep. So many places where I had to, I mean, deliverance. I mean, we've seen so much deliverance in our church. So many manifestations of evil. So many people robbing the, snatching the life right out of people's lives. It's like, well, we need the kind of authority Jesus has. Because the kind of, the other kind of authority, nobody wants to help us. So that we, No one's given it to us. We don't get to choose these laws and these rules. But this authority that Jesus has is pretty amazing. Now, in construction, if you pick up a wall and you stand it, and all you're standing there holding this wall up, and it's not right where you want it, it's pretty heavy. And what I've used in my life, most of my life, is this sledgehammer that's 12 pounds, and I named it. I called this sledgehammer Lottie Kaladi. I had that sledgehammer for 30 years. And whenever we'd stand a wall and we're like, mm, can't get, go get Lottie. And someone would run to the truck and pull out. I painted it. I named it. I kept it. I protected it. Because when you need it, there is no replacement for Lottie Kaladi. Nothing else in the truck will move that wall half an inch to get it right so that things are what turn out right. Stand a truss on a wall and it just, you know, you're standing on three and a half inches, or in this case, five and a half inches. You're standing in the air trying to move this thing, and you just can't move it. Get Lottie Kaladi out. 
bang it, boom, puts it right where it belongs. In my life, I mean, I'm serious. Today, you don't keep a tool for a week. People are always borrowing it, breaking it, losing it. We kept Lottie for 30 years. It was like the most important once-a-day tool that you could possibly have in a fr for a framing carp carpenter. You're going to need to move things. You're going to need to adjust things. Things are crooked. you got to get them right. Give me Lottie. And you'd move stuff. Lottie moved stuff. Lottie corrected stuff, fixed stuff, broke stuff too. But lot, so this, I began to think about this authority that God gives man in the church. And we're now, uh, the second thing we're so afraid of is that anybody would think we're Lottie Kalani, that we come heavy, that we come hard. And yet the authority that Jesus taught with right here where it says he had authority that was different than the scribes. And you look it up and I mean, it's all over the place. Another place it's used, Jesus comes, a centurion comes to Jesus and says, hey, my servant needs to be healed. He's dying. Jesus says, I'll be right there. He says, you don't have to come with me. You don't have to come to my house. That might not look good for you to come to my house. I'm a Roman centurion. Just say the word. My servant will be healed. That really wasn't imp what impressed Jesus. What he said was, I'm a man under authority. I do what I'm told, and others do what I say. So I know. You say the word, and my servant will be healed. And Jesus said this about that statement. This is the greatest statement of faith I've heard in all of... Even in all of Israel, I haven't heard anything this great. And that word for authority that centurion used? To knock severely, to press firmly. Great power, sharpness, overdrive, extreme. Get it right. Get it straight. No, it has to happen. No, it will happen. I think that in our world trying to be involved in so much healing... I think authority is the number one thing in healing. Something needs to knock things right. Somebody needs to believe with authority. Somebody needs to be more like Jesus, less like the scribes. So let's just kind of wrap this thing around in a bow maybe, you know. Let's just talk about what we're talking about. In my, my opinion, America had a 90-some percent church attendance rate. Canada had in the 80s. England, 80s. Wales, high 90s. Wales is under 2%. England is barely 2%. Canada is like 3%. America's 10%. You see what the church has been doing. Here's what I think, and of course, I'm leaving, you know, and you can just write off what I say, but here's what I think. I think these two subjects, non-biological fathering, non-biological family, and authority are the things we have rejected out of hand. We've decided that God will take care of it. It's almost like the dishes in the sink. Who wants to do the dishes? Don't worry about it. God will take care of it. Who's going to take care of watching over the church? Don't worry about it. God will take care of it. Who's going to make sure our next generation loves Jesus? Don't worry about it. God will take care of it. We have an epidemic in the Western world of pastors' kids not serving the Lord. Epidemic. I was so, you know, so pleased to see 
that Cameron and Kathy's kids were all in church. My kids, they're all working in the ministry. It's epidemic. Passing it on to the next generation. I live with authority. I'm a man under authority. I do what I'm told, and my children do what I tell them. And then they become adults. And they became, I didn't raise my kids to stay kids. I raised them to be parents. I raised them to be leaders. My kids say what they want, and people do it. My kids are told what to do, and they do it. They've learned how to live under authority. They've learned how to have and be non-biological parents to others and with others. And I think that the church, the strength of the church, is in the loss of this authority, in the loss of this understanding that Jesus himself had a non-biological father. God in the flesh was rescued from Herod by a man listening to angels. How is that? Is that crazy? Where do you see that in the world today? We need to see more of this. We need to begin to say, for one man at a time, come walk with me, I'm safe. You can walk with me. I will not let you down. I say to my people, I intend to never sin again. I don't say I'm not going to sin again. That would be arrogant. How do I know? I, I do. I do fail. But I intend to never fail. And I will not take it lightly when I do. I will confess to you my sins publicly. And I ask them, would you like to join me in this? And I give out my phone number and I say, text me this text. I intend to never sin again. And you'll be part of my little inner circle of people. And we're saying, we're going to walk together. We're going to be safe. And we're not going to frivolously do anything that would cause others to stumble. We're going to live our life because we are responsible for others. There's many things in my life I could do that I would be free to do that would not harm me. I'm going to love Jesus my life. I'm going to be, I'm going to be faithful the rest of my life, however long that is. But I can't do those things because everyone around me doesn't have the same strength. I have to live a life that is responsible for them. I have to show them the path that is safe for them. I have to live, I have to live as though I'm weak like them in certain areas. I can't, I can't do things because it would affect them. Jesus said, cause one of these little ones to stumble and it would be better for you if a millstone were hung around your neck and you were cast in the sea, I'm like, whoa, better? The better choice is that? I'm not, I'm not causing anyone to stumble. I intend to never sin again. My freedoms are not the most important subject on the table. Your ability to, to stay pure and holy, your, your life is my number one responsibility. And I will be a father I must have had 40 people come to me this year asking me, would you be my spiritual father? Well, how do you do that with 40 people? Because, you say, it's not up to me. I am the man I am, and I've chosen to be a father to anyone who wants me to be a father. It's up to you to be a son or a daughter. It's up to you to hear me and respond to what I'm telling you. If I say go this way, 99% of people say, oh, I don't go that way. Would you help me? Would you show me the way? Yeah, this is the way. Oh, oh, no, I don't go that way. You can't believe how many people. The ones in the, the, the photo, they said, well, I don't go that way, and I don't want to go that way, but you say I should go that way? Yeah, I'm going to go that way because you said so. Those are the people in the photo that I was talking about, laying hands on the young man that's graduating. Uh, 
Every one of them have had their weak moments. Every one of them have had the enemies of our soul come to destroy them on a given night like Herod came to destroy Jesus. And every one of them have had me there with them and had my sons there with them and had my daughters there with them to help them get away from the danger and get on their way to protection. And we walk together in this and we say to one another, stay with me, I'll protect you. Stay with me, I won't let you down. Walk with me. And this authority we use, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's crazy hard. Sometimes I got to get out Lottie Kaladi and adjust a few attitudes. I'm sorry, but I do. Here's the outcome if I don't. See, if I were to tell you, if I were to just tell you stories and quote myself to you, some of you would quit listening because you'd think, oh, that was sharp. Oh, that was harsh. But let me just tell you something. Lottie, Lottie causes sharpness, moves things hard, moves things severely. But had I let them go and refuse to do that because I don't want anyone to think I'm tough, I don't want anybody to think it's difficult, those people would be in the jail writing me letters. I get, I get letters from jail all the time. You know what every single one of those letters say? Every single one. Hundreds of letters, hundreds. You know what? Every single one of them has one phrase. I wish I had listened to you. Yeah. I can also tell you that every one of them went to jail having a Lottie bruise on them. I adjusted sharply. I moved them where they needed to be. And they refused to take the correction. And every one of them writes. remember one of them recently saying to me, I can't do what you said because I don't want to be away from my children any longer. And I said, if you don't do what I'm saying, you're going to be away from your children a really long time. He's now got an eight-year sentence in state prison. Writing me, I wish I had listened to you. I believe in this, what Larry Stock still told me. If you promote people who are not sons and daughters, you will constantly be going around in a circle. Father's house hasn't been circling for a really long time. Those of my children, uh, those of the guys that have come along to be, they, some of them have fathers. One of them sitting in the crowd tonight. He, was, he needed a non-biological father. He's got a biological father that believes in Jesus. He needed a non-biological father. Today he's in a church in Canada that, and he, I mean that church, I don't know where they'd be without him because he's a man to walk mountains with. He's a man to walk with. He's a man who stands up. Having done all to stand, he stands. And I think the church is really lacking in this. And I think that if I could call you and, and inspire you and tell you that the key to discipleship, the key to sonship, the key to this is to accept, first off, to accept the calling. If Jesus needed a non-biological father and Joseph was the man chosen, then I, I, I volunteer. If you can use me, Lord, use me. But I also say we should try to be a righteous man like Joseph was. And I think that the phrase, he kept her a virgin until the baby was born, is no small part of this. I think it's a really big part of this. Because this kind of 
character, this kind of strength is not found amongst us that much. It should be where it is. It should be transferred. It should be given away. It should be taught. It should be led. And I think that this non-biological fathers, this men amongst men, women amongst women, leaders, really needs to be a thing we say, yes, choose me. And we need to say, I recognize that I need fathers in my life. And I recognize that I'm a man who could be fathers in others' lives. So, I think that the second, the second point here of authority is the one that all of us are so afraid to exert. And I think that, here's, here's my story about this. Here's my story about discipleship. Back when I was a new Christian in the 70s, there was a movement called the, the Shepherding Movement. Don Basham, Bob Mumford, and Derek Prince started a thing called the Shepherding Movement. When I first became a Christian, the Shepherding Movement was awesome. Somewhere in the Shepherding Movement, they discovered Amway. And it went crazy. It started, it went upside down. Every, every Shepherding church started selling Amway. Then they started this um, special relationships thing. It ended so bad, it is like, it's hard to describe how bad this ended. And what it was, was the truth, they saw the truth that I'm talking about. And they did not, they did not shepherd it. They did not stand up and hold it to be holy. They just promoted non-sons and daughters until it became crooked. It got so bad that I have met, I, I'm telling you, I've met, I, if I haven't met a hundred men who won't disciple because of it, who won't lead other men, who won't use authority because of what happened in the 70s. My question is, why does those who did it wrong always get to control what's right? If something is right, shouldn't it be done right? And shouldn't those that did it wrong be an example for us of how not to do it instead of making us not ever do it because they did it wrong? How come those that did it wrong always get to control? How come those that do it right don't get to control? How come we can't say, let's just move forward in this thing and let's disciple one another. Let's become disciples of Jesus Christ and then pass on what we learn to the next generation. So... That's really what I had to share with you tonight, and I pray that it, it has something in it for you, that, that your future will have some benefits from what I've shared tonight. And I, maybe it already does. Maybe you're way ahead of me in this. But the Father's House Church grew out of these two really tremendous, in my opinion, philosophies, that I'm not a great CEO. I'm a great dad. And authority sometimes requires a lottie kaladi to get things right, to get, them, get it in the right place. And when in the right place, people are magical. People are incredible. If you go on fathershouse.com or whatever it's called, <laughs> changeoreville.org or whatever, you'll see all these pictures of these former takers who are addicts serving the homeless, serving the unlovable, people who are just completely whacked out of their mind. These guys are loving them and hugging them and just they know their name and they've had 
two-year conversations with them, just loving on them, telling them that God is good and that he loves them. It's really something. So, anyway, thanks for giving me a shot to talk to you. Listen, thank you for listening. You guys are awesome. What a beautiful church. What an awesome church. Thank you, Steve. The thing he was talking about with the authority, another way, another friend of mine says it this way, the proper response, the misuse, is not disuse, but proper use. Okay, so the proper response when someone misuses something like authority uh, is not to disuse it, say, oh, oh, authority is no good, we can't use authority. The proper response is proper use. So let's do it the right way. And the right way to function in authority, as he was saying, is to function as a mother and a father. And, and you know, he was speaking and fathering, and, and men have to, have to lead, but it's, it's biological parenting. Uh, uh, men need bio, uh, non-biological moms and non-biological fathers. And women need non-biological dads and non-biological moms. All right? Uh, there's just, there's a, in order to mature... You need the influence of mature mothers and fathers. You can't mature beyond the level of input you get from mature mothers and fathers. Uh, and that, that's the way, you know, it's amazing. It's just so simple. You know, that's how God created the world, right? <laughs> we don't come out of pods like plants, okay? We come out of moms, and for you know, my daughter, my granddaughter's a year old, and she just started taking steps. You know, a horse comes out and within minutes is running around the field. You know, it's just amazing. But God designed humans to take a long time because we we it teaches an emphasis on how dependent we are, and really a human isn't able to live. Our brain isn't fully uh, mature until 25. The normal human brain is not the place where... That's why you can't rent a car until you're 25. <laughs> it's absolutely true. Because the rental car companies, the people's brains aren't developed enough. Why would we give 16-year-old car key, keys to a 6-year-old? It's, kinda, it's, just, it's a little crazy. <laughs> We need 25 years of, of nurturing to be the place, and that, then that's the starting point where we can really nurture. And so I, I'm just so thankful for, for what Steve communicated, and that's, that's how New Day works. We raise up uh, young men and women from, the, from little kids with the expectation that they're going to grow up and become mothers and fathers in God's kingdom to reach the next generation. And then we create opportunities for uh, young men and women to lead so that they can influence the next generation. And we're preparing not for our own, uh, you know, uh, 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 reputation. I'm preparing for uh, what's going to happen after I'm dead. You know, I'm laying a foundation for uh, people's lives that are going to be transformed by people that, you know, uh, uh, have been uh, equipped by people that I equipped after I'm dead. You know, that's really why I'm laying the, that's my investment. My return isn't going to come until after I'm dead. And if that doesn't work, then maybe, then I failed. 
You know, and so I'm not looking for a return in this world, right? We're looking to return. It's just like my kids. <clears throat> We're not going to do that. Uh, you know, I love my kids, but ultimately they're going to have kids and the family's going to go on. It's going to continue. And so the challenge is, if you've heard what Steve said, what I'm saying, uh, stay, just take a minute. Close your eyes. And can you think of someone in your life that needs a, a mom or a dad? Maybe they have a, their natural mom or dad's around. That's okay. That's, but they need someone else to come with the lottie kalati. <laughs> or maybe they need someone else to come with a hug. Or someone to come up to them and, said, and say, I believe in you. I think you're amazing. Or someone to come up and say, I know you've really blown it, but I'm not going to give up on you. I'm rooting for you. I'm praying for you. All right? So go to that person as soon as you can and just say it. Take a chance. Say something encouraging to someone that you know is going through it. Make yourself available. And then make yourself available to be fathered and mothered in the kingdom. When someone in authority says, go a way that you might not necessarily want to go, do it and see what happens. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. You're our heavenly Father. You set the example that we are to be like you. Oh, that means we're to be fathers. We're to be mothers. We're to be spiritual parents. And Lord, I just pray that there'd be an impartation, and the, and the fruit of that impartation would be a transformed community. As one life gets changed after another, until pretty soon we're the majority, and there's transformation. Father, let that happen in Cass County, that there be transformation in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for coming out. Special service. Yeah.